Well, we want to um, go ahead and finish this Mother's Day theme of how to make sure that you are the mom God wants you to be in your home versus a gullible woman that is going to open your home up to danger. And let me be very clear on this, that we are talking about significant danger. Um, thieves, murderers break in and do damage, but it's only for this life. All they can do is shorten this life, which is already very short. They can make your life here miserable, um, but that is nothing compared to what spiritual damage is done when we allow these kinds of individuals access to our families that will shipwreck faith and leave us in a condition uh, of grave, eternal danger. I believe this is why Christ was so adamant when he said, it is better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and be cast into the ocean than to lead a child away from God. Whether intentionally or unintentionally. And hopefully, if that's the case, it is unintentionally within our families because we have opened our minds and hearts up to that which uh, is there to deceive us. And much like Eve, we simply entertain the argument. We entertain the ideas. We entertain the conversation with a beautiful creature, pretty on the outside, but all of his intents were evil. And so we're looking at, we saw two facets of the woman who will be the mother that will guard her children and raise them to know the scriptures. And we saw, first of all, that she will teach the scriptures. She herself will know them and will make sure that from childhood her children know the holy scriptures, realizing that it is the scriptures, not mom, that will make one wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Which led us very quickly into the second quality or characteristic of godly mother, wife in the home. And that is that she will have genuine faith. And we have characterized genuine faith by how the Bible describes it for women. And overwhelmingly it is associated with your relationship with, uh, within God's authorities in your life. And that is consistently there. Uh, and certainly we can look back and see, well, these other women of faith, uh, but what the New Testament writers pulled out out of the women of faith was how they responded to their husbands. And some of those women of faith, let's talk, let, let's just, just, because we got, we didn't sing that last song. We have a couple of minutes. Women of faith, let's think about some of those and how they responded to male authority in their life. Let's talk about Esther. How did she respond to the king? Like her predecessor, Vashti? Not at all. Was he a godly man? Was he a believer at all? He was not of Israel. And yet she treated him with full respect. What about Ruth? 
towards her mother-in-law as well as towards She went after what was right, and she respected the, the uh, kinsman redeemer rules. She went after a godly man, and she humbled herself and did whatever he told her to do, as well as whatever her mother-in-law told her. So very responsive to authorities. And you go all the way back, going to Sarai, and uh, what was she chastised for by God. Well, why are you laughing at my promises? But yet, in the New Testament, what is she praised for? How did she respond to Abraham? Called him what? Lord. And so they, these what the men, the women of old did to demonstrate their faith. And that is picked up in the New Testament. And so I'm not stretching there to get to the point to say you want to uh, emulate genuine faith within your family, within your household, that it is characterized by your relationship with authority. So I want to deal with a couple of other facets that I believe are here in 2 Timothy, in the example of Timothy, and they might be a little bit more of a stretch, but I don't believe so. Uh, the first one that I want which is number three really in my list, is the evidence of righteousness. If you look at what Scripture is given for in verse 16 and 17, it is the evidence of uh, right doctrine, uh, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, and the whole idea of being trained to do what is righteous, and then thirdly, that you are involved in good works. And so your role within the home, ladies, I believe, is to emulate those three things of doctrine, righteousness, and good works within your home. And this is, again, consistent with other passages of Scripture. How do we identify a wife of a deacon? What is the requirements for her? Well, let's go to 1 Timothy and let's just look real quickly. Not just deacons' wives, but uh, although it's tucked in here in the qualifications for deacons, Let's look at it. It's in 1 Timothy 3, verse 11. It says, Likewise, wives must be reverent. And that's in relationship to authority. That's what reverence is. Not slanderers. That is, they can control their tongue. Temperate. Faithful in all things. And then we, go, we can go to many other passages that talks about it. How should you be known by your good deeds? And by those evidences. And when you again look back at the examples, um, what was, was it Tabitha? Um, what was she known for? Her good deeds. That's what is the evidence of genuine faith. But I say this because for Paul to be able to identify these two, the grandmother and mother of Timothy, as genuine faith people, women, I would have to assume that they are the opposite of gullible women that he describes in verse 6 of 2 Timothy 3. And right, down, right away we are confronted with not only their gullibility, but they are loaded down with sins led away by various lusts. And so if that makes you susceptible to error being introduced into your home, and then the opposite is necessary to guard your home. 
And so we need to have within our church and within our homes women that are characterized by having good doctrine. Um, because remember, the gals up there, always learning, but never could come to the knowledge of the truth. They just never grasp hold of the need for just solid doctrine. But also not loaded that down with sin, that's righteousness, and not involved in chasing after fleshly lusts. And that should be replaced by good works. And so these three descriptions of gullible women, I believe, are countered at the end of this chapter by the three workings of the, of the scriptures in your life. So it's not only that you know them, but you are living them. That we have sound doctrine among our ladies that we have uh, sound righteousness, holiness uh, in our moms, that we are evidencing that, and then thirdly, that we have good works evident there. And so we have a deterioration of this in many respects um, that I think have been a detriment to the church um, over time. Uh, I think one of the great passages on women that is seldom touched on, uh, or not touched on sufficiently, I don't think, is in 1 Timothy chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 5, where we start talking about widows, that we honor widows. And it gives out there a great description of the expectations of women within the church, uh, that there is a role there, and there's a substantial role. And when we look at that expectation, uh, I want you to notice what is um, expected of them. Um, verse 5 is great. She who is really a widow and left alone, trusts in God, continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And again, that term pleasure, uh, tied to the idea there in 2 Timothy of just being driven by her wanton lusts, uh, is, is obvious. And so we have all these descriptions, but I want you to go down to verse 9 and 10. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken the number. Not unless she's been the wife of one man, very similar to what we saw for, for bishops and, and deacons. Um, verse 10, well reported for good works. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, but refused the younger widows, for when they have begun to grow wanton against Christ, they desire to marry, having condemnation because they have cast off their first faith. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And so his desire for younger widows is that they marry, have children, and manage the house. Why? In the end of verse 14, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. So your role in the home is critical. Are you giving opportunity for the evil one, the adversary, the Satan, to cause people to speak reproachfully over the church by your behavior outside of the church, specifically in your home, and then out in the community. Are you the busybody? Are you the one that has to share every morsel of gossip that you hear? Um, and I love the Christianizing of gossip. Oh, I have a prayer thing to share with you. Well, and then it comes off really as just a piece of gossip. And so um, we have an expectation that this is 
part of your role, that your fulfillment is in marrying, having children, managing a household, doing good works, caring for others, that is described here. And once you have seen that in a woman's life for a while, you are to identify her. And if she becomes a widow in that condition, having that life known to you, then she has an office within the church. I really believe that, that we are kind of off on just having two offices. I believe Timothy describes three. The office of pastor, the office of deacon, and the office of widow. And that doesn't go well with a lot of Baptists, so I don't press it very often, and, uh, and I don't push it too much. But the expectation is here. The, the requirements, what she's there for, um, her purpose, again, is to instruct and to help the younger gals in their role within the home. And I think one of the serious failures within our homes that has opened our homes up to a lot of error and has really made our moms more gullible is the disassociation of their role within the home um, as being attached to grandmother, great-grandmother, great-great-grandmother. That is, you are not determining how to raise your children by godly foremothers. <laughs> you are not making those determinations. Where do our mothers go for information about how to be a mommy nowadays? This really started right in the 60s with doctor, 50s really, the Dr. Spock and others like him that wrote books on parenting and they were groundbreaking works. Everyone heralded it and it, it created havoc in homes because we were going to cast off what we had learned generationally from godly grandmas and moms and great-grandmas. We're going to cast that off and we're going to follow this scientific approach to parenting that had all the psychology, that had all these, these ideas, and, and we took it that, and because we were in that process in the 60s of transferring from, from uh, in God we trust to in science we trust, um, we allowed it. So now we are now 50 years along, where are we at? Where, where are you going? Where are our young moms going? Because their moms didn't go to their moms, so they can't go to moms hardly because most of their moms didn't hear from their the grandmothers. We don't have any. They all go to the internet. Google it. Well, is Google a godly source of information, of truth? No. But we're going to Google how to be a mom. We're going to Google what the expectations are. We are going to Google uh, what to do with these kids and those kids and, and how to be this part, this part of my parenting. Um, when the God's Word calls us very specifically that you are to identify older women who have already done all of this. They have already brought up children, in verse 10. She has already lodged strangers. She has already washed the saints' feet. She has relieved the afflicted. She has diligently followed every good work. That we identify those individuals and we set them up as the trainer for our moms. And this is going to be carried over in Titus as well because Paul's going to train Titus like he trained Timothy. He says, listen, when you're dealing with women, you know, you're going to treat the younger women like sisters 
and you have to be take very you are not there to teach them to be moms. You need some help, and the help is going to come from the older, established, successful, from a biblical perspective, moms. What are they going to provide for you? Well, they're going to provide for you not just what works, but what is right. Because if they are of this nature, as verse 10 describes her, she is doing her faith and living it out, and that is the opportunity for us to now say, well, this pleases God. And can scientists be wrong? Oh, yes, they are wrong about many things. I personally believe they are horrifically wrong injecting as much junk as they inject into these infants before they even leave the hospital to protect them from diseases and such. Um, and I can sit there and, and sit down with parents and say, okay, and I can show them videos and I can try to discuss information, but we are convinced that this is the only way. This is the right way. And that is, uh, regardless of what the world says, the purpose of many of those is. And so we find that we are not going to God's word. We are not going to godly uh, Individuals who have already raised children, we are going to the world and saying, how should I raise my children? And I've had plenty of it. Um, we, we were forced to do that when we became foster parents. We had to do whatever the therapist said. Whatever the psychology guy said. And I'm just looking at them like, you want me to do that? Okay, but... You don't, you assume that every child is good and that the environment is the problem. And we know better from the scriptures, don't we? And then we find out later on that it's really all trial and error. They just won't admit it to your face. We start studying the research that they're basing their advice to you on and you find out that it's all up in the air. They, they're just guessing. But you go to a grandma who has raised her kids and you have the evidence and that is historically how moms learn to be moms. It was from their mom, their grandma. And so I want you to notice the generationality of 2 Timothy chapter 1. You learn genuine faith first in your grandmother, then in your mom, and now in you. And that is critical that we recognize. Now, maybe you're a first-generation believer. You might say, well, I can't go back that like that. Well, you can't in your physical genealogy, but you can in your spiritual genealogy. And that's why we have this office in the church described as widow, who must have been a married woman who raised her own children and did all these good works that are listed there, evidencing genuine faith so that now we can go to her and say, please help these girls with their babies. And, and uh, they have this mass of experience and knowledge, but hopefully because they have been uh, doing this within the context of a Christian life, they can meld these properly for us. And so we have this, ex this example, first in grandma, then in mom, then in son.
And that's the order that is, that is very deliberately given to us in 2 Timothy 1. Paul makes it very clear. This is in, in sequence. This is how it happens. And we have lost track of that. And so, yes, I believe you need to be connected into the uh, mature women of the church. And uh, I've always said that. Uh, and I've said that for one of the scariest things about youth group is how much they depend on each other for information. The scariest thing about middle school is that sixth graders think eighth graders know everything. That is frightening. And eighth graders act like they do. Just because the sixth graders don't know as much as they do. The most frightening thing about high school is that they're asking each other information and it's the blind leading the blind and, it, and it's ignorance feeding ignorance. Why aren't they going to where the real resources are? Why aren't they going to those that have the knowledge, have the experience? And again, we have ripped apart and we have invented a generation gap that never existed before media. You go back historically, before World War I particularly, and you will not find a generational gap ever discussed in any literature or anything. This is an invention of modern world because we have extracted you from learning from your parents and grandparents and learning your culture, learning your values, and learning just how to do things, uh, simple things, and we have divorced you from that. And now you are taught from, and that's why a lot of women weren't allowed to go to colleges, was for that very reason, and the whole modern educational movement has been to take young gals away from home where they're best trained for what they were most designed for, which is to be wives and mothers. And so I always challenge gals, um, and I do it to the point that it's annoying to my family now, but I always ask gals, Don't, wouldn't you like to be a mom? I did it yesterday to poor... Uh, Miss Francis, um, she got, you know, everyone says, what's your plans now that you're graduating? I, just, I said, would you rather just be a mom and a wife and mom three years from now? Oh, yeah, but, well, you're not trained to be that, are you? They didn't train you for that in college. It's not the purpose of college, is it? It's the purpose of Bible school. You go there and find a husband. That's why you go to Faith Baptist Bible College and Iowa. Sorry, I just had to throw that one in there. All right. So, now, that's number four. I want to go with number five. Are you ready? Here comes number five. I believe that to be the guardian of your home, you need to take a stand for righteousness that communicates clearly to your child that there is no one greater in your life than God, including them. This has to be forcefully and regularly communicated. That is, if you choose to do wrong, if you choose not to serve the Lord our God, if you choose, not only will my heart be broken, but 
you will become the adversary to my home. You will become the creeper, and I will not welcome you here. I think one of the greatest dangers in the Christian community today is the worship of family. We have elevated above the worship of God. You can say and do anything, but we love our families first and foremost. And I've had moms of this church in the past tell me, I will always pick my children first. And I was like, well, then I'm sorry. Because Jesus said, if you love them more than me, you are not worthy of me. And then they go, oh, well, that's... I go, doesn't matter what you say now. You've already declared the truth. Now you just don't want to deal with the ramifications of the truth. Our children must know that they do not rule us. We are not their servants. They are ours. That you as a mom are not there for them. Um, You are there for God. You're God's agent in the home over your children. And it is noted here that when Paul arrives, we don't find any argumentation uh, about who Timothy's, what Timothy's going to do. Mom and Grandma are fine and dandy sending him off with Paul to who knows where, but to do we know what. And here's a young man, and by young, he's not 18. The likelihood is when Paul took him out of the home, he was likely around 13 or 14. And mom and grandma both said, serve the Lord, son, and said goodbye. They didn't move with him. There's no evidence that Lois and Eunice were with them as they traveled. They recognize that this child is really God's. And you have a stewardship responsibility to this child, but this child does not define who you are, and nor can they ever take the place of God in your life. They cannot be the only purpose for your existence. And again, I have encountered this from the time I was an intern in ministry, where I was the junior high pastor. Yeah, it was, it was a bigger church, and I was in charge of the junior hires. And I'm excited about missions. I'm, I'm excited about ministry. I'm right out of college and seminary. I studied, you know, for the ministry. And I was excited about confronting young people with opportunities to serve the Lord. And we had several of them starting to be responsive. And I had one parent come up to me and say, stop it. I said, why? God can't have my daughter. I'm not letting her go to the mission field. Oh. Better a millstone be put around your neck and cast in the ocean than to keep one of the little ones away from God. And I would contend his ministry. So this isn't anything new. This has been around for years and years and years and years as well where we have elevated that role, and, and frankly, we do it today, right? What do we do today? We took a day that we take time away to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord 
and we only get to do it once a week, uh, and then we're not allowed to do it very long of that day, just a few hours of the day, three hours of the day, and we interfere with that because every Mother's Day, Father's Day, Grandparents' Day, and Children's Day, and yes, there are those too, have to be on Sundays. And all these churches around town, including this one, has an expectation that we need to honor mothers. Well, that's not our purpose on Sunday, to honor mothers. Our purpose is to honor God. We can instruct mothers, we can celebrate that God has given them to us, but uh, we're not deifying you today, sorry. But we have taken and made family first. And we don't let our kids go into the ministry. We don't even want them to consider it. We, we would never do what Eunice and Lois did, and that is send their kid off with a pastor that's an itinerant guy, has no, no regular form of income. I mean, he makes tents. Um, again, not, a, not really a high calling, but I guess he could make a living out of it, did make a living out of it. Um, with, here's what he says is going to happen. Are you ready? Here's what he says. I'm going to take your son from you. Here's what to expect. <clears throat> Oh, I'm in the wrong Timothy, sorry. Back to 2 Timothy. Um, uh, you're going to have uh, perseverance, persecution, afflictions. Timothy knew about these because he was there with them. Oh, that sounds great. I can't wait to sign my kid up for that. And we make our lives encircled around them, and for a young person, for a child, their conclusion is, I am the most important thing in my mom's life. And that must be stopped. Lois and Eunice, from their testimony, make it evident that you are gods, and that we will serve the Lord first, and if that means saying goodbye to you and sending you off with Paul the Apostle and maybe not ever seeing you again, we are good to go with that. We're going to send you on your way. And that kind of spirit, that kind of attitude says, God is first in my life. And our children need to know that. That they are not um, the center of our world, that Jesus Christ is. And communicating that um, needs to be more than just when they become a teenager or an adult. It needs to be all along the way. We train them very early on by simply saying, be quiet, I'm talking here, don't interrupt. And every time you do that, you're communicating something to a child, aren't you? What are you communicating to them? That you don't love them? No, you're communicating to them, you aren't the center of my life. You're saying something to them. That there are other things that take priority over you, and there are things that take priority over being a mom. I'm sorry. I know the world doesn't think that, but it's true. <laughs> being a wife is the one thing right off the bat. Being a wife should be a priority over being a mom, and I have seen too many families destroyed because they didn't get that one fact. 
that being a wife is a higher priority than being a mom. And being a servant of God is of higher priority. Yes, you should serve as a mom before God to your family to be that guardian, not that gullible one. But we dare not elevate that to the point that that becomes more important to us than anything else. I want you to notice what the widow was supposed to have done while she was raising children. Do you see the list? Do you remember the list? She was busy. Go to Proverbs 31 and tell me what the woman is doing while she's raising children. Is that all she did? Was that the definition of? No, she was, she was responsible for carrying on household management of business deals. She was there and notice repeatedly in Psalm 30 or Proverbs 31, um, it is her husband that is the measure of her success. Yes, her her children will rise up and call her blessed, but ultimately it was that her husband will be known in the gates. And so again, we have this expectation and we hear too much of moms that, that their whole life has to stop for a child uh, when God's word makes it clear that this is going to communicate error and will shipwreck faith. And we have had too many in that condition that I have encountered in ministry from way back then, 30 years ago, even until recent years. And so I keep going to challenging young moms to train their children to prepare them to be adults and recognize that they are children of God, that you have a motherly role over. And if they choose to reject God, what are you going to do about that? How are you going to respond? I didn't say stop loving them. In fact, the most loving thing is what? Lead to an, accept them in their sin? How can that be loving? You have condemned them. It's convenient for you, again, because you have that sensitive side, you have those heart strings attached to him or her, um, but if they choose not to follow after God, let your heart be broken and you keep following Christ in righteousness, in good works, in sound doctrine. And pray for them. But do not coddle them in their sin, for you are encouraging them to stay in their sin. And again, I have had many times in the course of ministry where I've had that conversation and have been unable to convince a mother to do that. And then I've watched her children descend, descend, descend. She could not take a stand for Christ among her, with her children. And so you cannot raise and elevate that role above God in your life. You can love your children and hate their sin and engage them through prayer, through example, without a word. 
and simply communicate, you make me choose between you and God, there's no, that choice was settled when I became a child of God. That choice was settled. And as we've raised our children, we have communicated them regularly, do not ever make us make that choice because you already know the choice is made. You choose to reject God and go the way of the world, you will not have us with you. We will not support you, we will not encourage you, we will not applaud you, we will not follow you. We will not do it. We'll pray for you. We'll challenge you every time we see you to do right, to repent. But celebrate? Oh no. There's no place for that. That choice was made when we received Christ as our Savior. I will love him even if it looks like I hate my own family in comparison. That's the commitment of genuine faith. That's the commitment of the mother and grandmother of Timothy. And that is what it takes to be the guard of your home and not to be gullible, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, never able to come to knowledge of the truth. Let those never be the description of the moms in our church. We pray for you all the time, for you and your children. But you need to take up that role. And it begins by knowing God's word. It, it presses on by having genuine faith that is evidence to all around you. And as we shared tonight, that you have righteousness and good works in your life that you are responsive to the authorities and receiving instruction from older women, and finally, that you have your priorities correct. When these are intact and growing and developed in your life, um, it doesn't ensure that your children will come out right. Well, it will ensure that God will be pleased with your role. And whether your children choose to receive Christ or reject him, they will know that mom stood for Christ, for the truth, for righteousness, for good works. And that is more important than whether they're sitting around your table on Mother's Day. Let's pray. Oh God, we do thank you for your love for us. And we thank you again for your word. And it calls us to some hard things sometimes, and yet, Lord, we see its truth, and we know it. Help us to live it. And we know that you have made our homes, that your intention was that they be places of peace and of, of righteousness, where your name is glorified, and, and that uh, children are raised to know you and to love you and to serve you. But we know also that we're all tainted by sin, including our, every one of our homes, that we, in addition, have the enemy seeking to penetrate our homes, and too often we garner our ideas of parenting from the world, from their expectations, and now uh, 
It seems just a radical thing to try to be a biblically-based home. And the world will consider us bizarre. But Lord, give us the courage. To not care what the world may say, but to only care what you think of our homes. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.